This is 112BK coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn. On today's show, an update on efforts to fight AIDS and HIV in the city. The Doc NYC Film Fest and some local shorts. And the podcast, Dear Queer. Hi, I'm Ashley Ford and welcome to 112BK. Thanks for joining us today. Quick question. If you happen to be a person who celebrates Christmas, when do you put up your Christmas tree? See, I'm practically an elf. The day after Halloween, I want my tree up, my stocking hung, and an almost constant loop of holiday movies on my TV. But that's not everybody. In fact, when I mentioned wanting to put my tree up early, most of my Twitter timeline came after me for disrespecting Thanksgiving by not giving that particularly delicious holiday a respectful amount of time to be enjoyed. Well, here's my final word on that. If Thanksgiving wants the same amount of respect and adoration as Christmas, they need better PR, better decorations, and holiday-adjacent films that are just as heartwarming. Until that time, my tree will be going up on Wednesday, and my Christmas season starts now. Deal with it. We've got a good show. Housing Works, a heroic organization when it comes to dealing with AIDS and HIV in the city. I know it's getting cold out, but Doc NYC has some Brooklyn shorts. And one of Brick's newest podcasts, Dear Queer, and its host, Robin Cloud. But first, some items. An update on Gothamist and DNA Info. They've been negotiating the termination, and those negotiations have just been completed. They were able to turn one month's severance and three months' paid leave, which would end when they got new employment, into four months' severance. And they didn't have to sign non-disparagement agreements. So we look forward to the disparagements to come. There was a report of vandalism this weekend at a Brooklyn mosque in Sunset Park. It's gotten the attention of NYPD's Hate Crimes Task Force and the Brooklyn Borough President, Eric Adams. Recently, we spoke to the oral historian at the Brooklyn Historic Society about Islamophobia and what the society is doing here in Brooklyn to educate people on Islam's long history in NYC. That two-year project is underway. This latest event might have been a random act unrelated to religious animus. But whatever the motivation, it has the community shaken in light of rhetoric coming from the White House and corresponding upticks in hate crimes over the last year. An update on the Brooklyn Queens Connector. If you haven't heard about this, it's an ambitious plan for a streetcar that will run the length of the Brooklyn waterfront from Sunset Park to Astoria. A few days ago, it was being called a pipe dream for lack of funding and lack of state buy-in. Because don't we all love the BQE? And why should it have competition? However, other critics are concerned that it will hasten gentrification, as if it isn't happening quickly enough already. But on Sunday, the New York Post got a first glimpse of the prototype cars. If the plan is approved, the cars wouldn't arrive on the streets until 2024 at the earliest, which would make it about 100 years since the borough saw the la its last trolleys. We'll keep you posted on the progress. WeWork, the platform for creators, is hosting its Creator Awards in New York on the 18th. The competition is for entrepreneurs, creators, startups, nonprofits, and for-profits to vie for funding for their ideas, gizmos, initiatives, and endeavors. And 10 Brooklyn companies are in the running for funding. They include JustFix.NYC, a nonprofit providing technology for documenting housing neglect by landlords, WeShave, a women's shaving system that's supposedly irritation-free, we'll see about that, and SCOF, spelled S-COF, a scarf with military-grade filter that is designed to scrub city pollutants. I need that. 
I can certainly be city ready with all those handy items in my pockets. Good luck to those Brooklyn businesses. And December 1st is World AIDS Day. And to commemorate here in Brooklyn, there's an event at King's Theater on Flatbush, raising awareness and remembering those we've lost. Part of the coalition organizing the event is Housing Works, and we'll be right back with their policy director. Housing Works has been an institution in New York City for almost 30 years. We've been living with the HIV AIDS crisis for longer. But in the years of its existence, Housing Works has helped the city and individuals living with a positive diagnosis minimize its impact. According to their website, they went to war with Mayor Giuliani 20 years ago and opened up a center in East New York 19 years ago. Here to talk about more recent times and the continuing struggle is Reed Vreeland, Housing Works Policy Director. Thanks for joining us on 112BK. Thanks so much for inviting me, Ashley. Can you just start by talking to me about what is your personal passion when it comes to HIV AIDS research and also the work you do with Housing Works? Yeah, absolutely. So I really came to this work um, because I'm personally affected. I, I'm living with HIV, mm -hmm. um, have been living 31 years out of my 31 years of life. Um, so I really came to this work because um, I realized that if I wasn't going to do something about the HIV AIDS epidemic, if I wasn't willing to step up as somebody who's been on treatment for a long time mm -hmm. and help move the ball forward, why would I expect a stranger or somebody who wasn't in impacted to do that for me? Right. So that's really why I came personally to this work. And I'm really drawn to Housing Works because of the strong advocacy component. Mm -hmm. um, so we provide healthcare services, uh, housing for pre people with chronic conditions, including HIV. And then uh, we also uh, do direct actions and advocacy. So we're not afraid of calling out uh, government or people in authority when they're taking the wrong policy decisions. Which is a breath of fresh air, to yeah. be perfectly honest. So talk to me a little bit about Trump care and about what's happening right now with healthcare in the country. A lot of people are concerned, I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how something like this, the changes that have been proposed or whatever is happening right now is going to affect specifically the community that you work so closely with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I think that uh, Housing Works, first of all, I, I would say that our response with a lot of other uh, organizations uh, that are in healthcare and disability activists, was very much, it was much more immediate than a lot of other groups. We really saw this as an immediate threat. They're gonna try to change policies very quickly, so we need to really have a, a strong response. Mm -hmm. So over the summer, when the Senate uh, healthcare bill was proposed, mm -hmm. we did a series of direct actions in D.C., and people were flying in, people with different health conditions were flying in um, from across the country, from Alaska, from Arizona, mm -hmm. um, and demonstrating in the Senate office buildings. People were making calls. It was really a beautiful response. And I think for Housing Works and a lot of HIV AIDS activists, we saw this happen in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, when we were truly, our community was truly under attack. Mm -hmm. And so we know that a healthcare crisis isn't just healthcare-related, it's a political crisis. And if you let people in power dictate your healthcare needs and what resources you're gonna get, and you, don't, you let yourself be silenced, then that will lead to more death more oh, yeah. and more suffering. 
Now, one of the things that I saw recently is that certain areas of Brooklyn have some of the most new cases, mm -hmm. um, diagnosed cases of HIV and yeah. AIDS virus. What should we be doing here? What should we be concerned about right now? Like, how do we prevent that number from growing? Mm -hmm. um, and how do we stop this from being a thing where it's like, you know, right now it seems like it's just bouncing. It's like one place has the most newest cases and right. then another place has the most newest cases. But what if we just don't want any more new cases? Like, yeah. what can we be doing right now to help with that? Thank you, yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's so just to give you some context, mm -hmm. um, our governor and mayor, uh, our governor appointed a task force on how to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in New York State mm. and uh, came up with a blueprint on how to do that in 2015. So the community and uh, the city and state departments of health have been implementing that plan. Um, so we've actually seen a decrease in new HIV infections citywide, wow. dramatic. So around 8% decrease in 2015. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing really promising signs for the 2016 as well. What's contributing to that? Like what so, kind of policy? Absolutely, yeah. So mm -hmm. what, what the three pillars really are, uh, identifying new HIV cases. So mm -hmm. the important thing is really expanding testing, making sure people are tested routinely, mm -hmm at your regular checkups, right. make sure your doctor's offering an HIV test, mm -hmm. and then make sure that you're getting linked to care, people are getting linked to care. If you get people with HIV tested and linked to care and on treatment, mm -hmm. so right now there are very effective treatments for HIV, and if you get them on treatment, you know, tested, linked to care, on treatment, then you can suppress the level of virus in their system, they can remain very healthy, people can remain very healthy, and that also um, <clears throat> eliminates the risk of sexual transmission of HIV. Right. So literally all you would have to do to end the HIV epidemic just give people really high quality health care mm -hmm. and make sure they know their status. And, and we all benefit. Exactly, from that. and we all benefit. And then the, the new cases goes down because mm -hmm. people have health care, they're taking their medicine, and then uh, the the there is no more transmission because right. people the um, the antiretrovirals prevent the transmission. Right. The other thing that's really important is people who are um, who might be at high risk for becoming HIV positive mm -hmm. um, can take a, a pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP. So that's a prevention drug uh, that's used, and it really it, uh, it dramatically reduces the the chance of becoming HIV positive, wow. um, practically to zero. So really, if you uh, if you have friends who are HIV positive and you're at risk, if you have a partner who's in a serodiscordant or, you know, some people call it, you know, positive and negative or magnetic relationship, right. that's okay. You can go on PrEP and protect yourself from becoming positive. So there are just more options now, which is really exciting. I think what we really need to see more of in Brooklyn mm -hmm. is more Brooklyn pride, more local leadership mm -hmm. in saying these are the specific neighborhoods that need more outreach, more resources, these are the specific populations that need more outreach. Mm -hmm. We need to get the, the resources exactly where they're needed. Right. So we're doing a good job overall on a city level right now, mm -hmm. like no time in the history of this city. So that's exciting. But in Brooklyn, we need to step up our game. We, there are about 20% uh, of new HIV cases in Brooklyn mm -hmm. are, um, 
are uh, co-diagnosed co with AIDS. Right. So that means it's a late diagnosis, so right. the, the illness has progressed further. So we need people getting tested earlier. more often exactly. and earlier. earlier. So exactly. what, uh, testing right now, what it looks like, looks nothing like it did, I feel like, even right. 10 years ago. That's right. So can you explain to people right now who are maybe scared of getting tested, who are worried about the process, like what does it look like right now to get tested? for HIV and AIDS. Yeah, absolutely. So really, the, the there are two things. So mm -hmm. everybody should get tested. Yes. It's, it's just really important, and all doctors should be routinely testing. Right. And you should check them on that. Right. Um, the, the, we've really shifted our model mm -hmm. um, to what's called an HIV neutral model, mm -hmm. right? So if what, before when you got a negative test, we kind of were like, okay, we, we don't need to see you. Right. Now we really say, let's look at, if you're positive, we connect you to treatment mm -hmm. and care. Right. If you're negative, we connect you to healthcare and maybe yeah. PrEP might be a good idea for you. Let's just talk about what your options are. Right. So the model really is, we just want you to have quality health care. Right. We want you to look at what your other needs are that aren't being met. Is housing an issue? Is uh, substance use an issue? Uh, what are the other things going on in your life that might put right. you at a greater risk for becoming HIV positive? And let's address that. So it's treatment and it's education, and both of those components not only help people who get a positive diagnosis, but it obviously helps future people right. from like avoiding right. a diagnosis, like exactly. a positive in the future. Hopefully, the, the the worst status to have is unknown. Okay. The best status to have is getting tested and knowing, look, I'm HIV positive, but I can get on treatment. Right. I've lived 31 years with, you know, with HIV on treatment, and mm -hmm. I hope to have a great long life. Okay. I hope that's but, but, uh, and and if you're negative, you know, here's the healthcare options that exist, the mm -hmm. prevention tools that exist to keep you negative, and that's how we end our epidemic here in Brooklyn and across the city and state. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate you coming here and giving us, giving us, me, and our audience this really, really necessary information. Of course. Next, Doc NYC, the biggest documentary film festival in the country and some of its Brooklyn offerings. Stay tuned. I look at it as these dead people are giving me part of their life as a story. I don't even know if I should be telling you about it. <laughs> in 1998, Bushwick was a disaster. It was like a dump. I can't tell you how many people told me, don't open up a gym here. It's almost cliche at this point to talk about being a documentary filmmaker from Brooklyn, but that doesn't diminish the work. And this year, Doc NYC, the biggest doc fest in the country, is honoring some of that work. The festival will screen some of its shorts this week, and we have two Brooklyn-based directors to talk about their films. Gaspar Nimick, thanks for joining us. Thanks. And Olivier Bernier, thank you too for coming on 112BK. Thank you. Thank you. So happy to have you guys here. So first of all, let's start with Gaspar. Tell me about your movie. So uh, it's the story of a gym I used to go to years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, that was that was uh, founded 20 years ago in Bushwick. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a it was a time when Bushwick was very different mm -hmm. than what it is now. So it's kind of a look at the neighborhood of Bushwick through the eyes of this place. I would say so, yeah. Yeah, through the yeah. eyes of the gym. Through the eyes and of the how gym, yeah. the demographics have changed, and we know what that means yeah. <laughs> here in Brooklyn. As soon yeah. as someone says, the demographics have changed, it's like, oh, you mean gentrification? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Very excited for that one. And how about you? 
Um, so our, our story is a garbage story, um, and it's about a garbage man that essentially cleans out houses of dead people, and instead of throwing things out, he actually saves them. So he kind of rebuilds these stories right. of the dead people um, through what he collects. That's really interesting. I always have this thing in my mind about what happens to the possessions of the dead, especially people, you know, because someone uh, goes through the house, usually a family member, like they take what they want, they, you know, something special to them, but there always has to be things left behind. Mm -hmm. So I'm really interested to see that one as well. Yeah. Can you guys talk to me a little bit about why you made the films you made? So, so I think the first time I went to this place, that was eight years, seven, seven or eight years ago. And um, at the time, I think I was one, one of the only white person in a gym. Mm -hmm. So the neighborhood was completely different than what it is now. Right. And I, I used to go to this gym like on a daily basis for, for, for a few years. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and over time, I've, I saw the whole neighborhood, the, the whole area changing. Right. And what was at the time, I would say the the norm mm -hmm. became little little by little the exception. So it's not there yet. Right. But I've seen kind of the the shift. Yeah. Inside and around the the gym. Was there a particular moment in this film specifically something like that's in the film that you were just like that's the shot like that's the moment that's really that like you really love or that you thought audiences were really gonna love. It's uh, it's chaotic. Mm. It's like this this chaotic place that mm. combines um, kids with like fifty year old or sixty year old dads and couples that go there. Mm -hmm. And so I think I think you perceive that a lot. You know, it's not this right. like organized gym. Uh, it's total chaos, but somehow it works out. You know, people get along. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so I think you, I think you, you feel that quite well. Yeah. Uh, in the in the piece. So yeah. you feel like yeah. you feel the chaos. You of feel the, the chaos. Gym yeah, you feel the like the people yelling, the big guys, but also the kids. The like very the, the combination of very different elements that wouldn't right. like, that wouldn't mingle if it wasn't for this gym. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, yeah. that absolutely makes yeah. sense. How about you, Olivia? Um, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> the question basically just being like, do you have a favorite moment in the oh, film? Right. Or something that you just thought audiences, like, like that's gonna be the thing yeah. people love. Yeah, so we filmed the first day like in his warehouse and it's pretty amazing because he's just created like a museum of all the stuff he's collected. Right. Um, and we thought that was pretty cool, but then, you know, Nick, the, the guy who it's about, um, just mm -hmm. really charismatic guy said, called us up at seven in the morning, like, hey, I'm doing a clean out, can you guys make it? So we kind of scrambled, cancel our plans for the day, and we show up in this location, and it's just this dusty place that stinks, which oh. unfortunately you can't see on camera. Right. Um, but, you know, in that moment, I was like, oh yeah, we got it. You know, yeah. this is like, this is it, yeah. Like, this, this is a dead shop. person's home. Yeah, and, and um, as he goes through it, you know, he's just kind of rebuilding this person's life, even though he never met him, and um, yeah, it was perfect. Wow. Yeah. Why was it important for you to tell that story? Like, that's a thing, right? Because some people are gonna be like, who, even if they enjoy it, it's like, how do you even think 
to make a film about something like this? Like, how do you know to find this guy? Like, how yeah. do you, why, why does he let you follow him around? You know what I mean? Like, there has to be something there that keeps you going in the process to show up to these houses. And is it just curiosity or is it something That's else? A, I think a large part of it is curiosity. Um, you know, uh, you know, we worked together on uh, his film as well and mm -hmm. just the, the idea that you could be walking by all these stories on a daily basis, like right. what happens inside that building? Like, what's there? Um, these are really fascinating stories that don't get told, really. So, um, you know, the short documentary format's a really good way to kind of bring it to life and have a glimpse into these people's lives. Right. So, um, really, anything that can kind of unlock a secret is an interesting right. story to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is, too. But how do people who are actually in the films respond to seeing them? Like, have you showed them yet? Did they have positive reactions or negative reactions? So the um, so there's like a small crew of the gym, kind of like hardcore gym goers mm -hmm. that uh, that went to rooftop films mm -hmm. um, a few months ago, and I think they liked it a lot. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting to have because uh, the crowd. I would say the crowd that go to to those film festivals usually mm -hmm. it's from I don't know they go to college or or I don't know it's it's a yeah. I wasn't the, the the typical crowd that you would see at a film festival and you had this like group of like four or five like <laughs> bodybuilders or powerlifters with their like hoodies on and Richards yeah. and hoodies, hoodies on and I think they liked it a lot yeah yeah Good. like to be somehow I mean I, I don't want to speak for them right but to have their thing being represented out there being out there mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a nice feeling for them from from what I get. Yeah. yeah. I think they probably would have told you if they didn't like it. Don't you think? Like, <laughs> I think they would have. Yeah, no, I got, like, they would have brought it up. <laughs> they did like, like it a lot, actually. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. Um, well, just to speak to that, um, when we were in post, you know, it was really important for Gaspar to, to be truthful to who the people were. Because, you know, in editing, it's easy to manipulate it or make someone seem funny. And I remember Gaspar being really like, no, that's not how this guy is. This is how he is. And I think they responded to that because it was really an honest portrayal. Um, so yeah, with uh, with Nick, the guy in our in um, Garbage Story, he's uh, I think he likes being in front of camera, you know. And yeah. part of what he does is to kind of save these relics and show them to the public. Mm -hmm. So you know, this is why he does it. Like right. any kind of publicity, he's going to be happy about it. Um, the producer for the film, Patrick, he actually found the piece in a New York Times article. Um, approached him and the guy was all about it so yeah can you tell me really quickly where and when your films are screening so richie's film uh, Rich, richie's is going to be screened tomorrow at duck nyc mm -hmm. uh I, I think it's like a program of like five or six shorts cool uh, what time yeah. do you know what time it starts i think it starts uh, i don't want to say something Not wrong <laughs> <laughs> i think it's 7 p.m maybe yeah, yeah something like that yeah, yeah. 7 p.m uh, yeah, mine's at the IFC Center on Wednesday, the 15th, and I believe 7 p.m. as 7 well. 7 p.m. Yeah. Is there a website people can go to to figure out? So yeah. Doc NYC, right? Doc, Doc NYC. NYC. Yeah, they can go to Doc NYC, um, yeah, and I think it's on there, A cool. Garbage Story. And, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Cool. I can't wait to check <laughs> these stories out because they sound amazing and just supremely interesting. But thank you guys, both of you, for being here today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Next one of the newest podcasts from the Brick Radio family, Dear Queer, and its host, Robin Cloud. Stay where you are. Before yeah. we get to this, actually, I want to talk about interracial relationships because you've dated mm -hmm. a lot of different people.
Rick has podcasts. You know that because you've tuned into this one. But the other new kid on the block is Dear Queer, hosted by comedian, writer, and director Robin Cloud. She's with us today to talk to us about it and what's on the shows ahead. So nice to have you on 112BK, Robin. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Tell me about the show. All right. Well, for those that know me, they know I like to give advice, mm -hmm. unsolicited or otherwise. <laughs> um, and so when I was thinking about what I wanted to be working on next, because yeah. um, I'm a filmmaker and a stand-up comic, um, I was like, I want to do a podcast and I want to give advice, but I want to give advice, bring like LGBTQ and allied mm -hmm. celebrities in to help me answer advice questions from the community. Right. And so that's what we do, and we have a good time. Well, it sounds amazing, first of all. I got Thank to listen you. to a few episodes last night. They made me very happy inside. Um, why is a podcast like this important? Like, I have my reasons why <laughs> it's important uh -huh. to me. But what about you? Well, I felt like, one, I love advice, giving mm -hmm. advice. So I already said that. But I just felt like at the time right now, we don't have, there aren't actually any LGBTQ focused advice podcasts, which I couldn't believe yeah. when I Googled. Like, is this idea going to fly? Do I have or competition? Isn't. No, not really. Right. Um, okay, great. Uh, so I felt like right now, considering the political climate that we're living in, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're navigating a new world order. Yes. And that encompasses sexuality, work mm -hmm. life, relationships mm -hmm. with your family has changed. A lot of my friends are like, oh my God, I am not talking to my parents because they voted for Trump. Right. You know, and so I thought this was a perfect opportunity and a perfect time to give people platform to discuss right. some of their issues. And I gotta say, I really love that you chose the word queer because, you know, for multiple reasons, one of them being that, like, I'm bisexual, mm -hmm. um, and that's how I identify, and one of the things that's really hard for me, and I've actually written about this, is the fact that people have a really hard time with bisexual folks mm -hmm. who are in relationships with someone who is what they would call the opposite sex. So I'm a bisexual woman who's in a relationship with a cis man. Mm -hmm. And people think, well, that means you're not bisexual anymore. Right. It's like, right. well, no, that's not how that works at all. So like the use of the word queer really, I feel like, invites all these people along the spectrum, the mm -hmm. people who fit somewhere between the L and the G and the B and the T, right? Exactly. Is that why you chose it? Definitely. Yeah, yeah that's I mean, I want, it's an umbrella term for our community, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I want to embrace everybody. I want everyone to have the opportunity to feel a part of. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you have a favorite segment on an episode so far? Oh my gosh. Well, this past, the episode that was released today, we, we introduced a game. Yes. Yeah, so we introduced fuck, Mary Kill, but gay, fuck, gay Mary Kill. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how does that work? Can you tell me how that works really quickly? Yeah, I mean, you have to tune in and listen. Right. But, you know the game, so it's like you give the list, or the guest three options, mm -hmm. and they have to decide who they would f who they gay, would gay marry and who they would kill. Oh my gosh. I, so, okay, well now I want to play this game. Yes. So oh no. let's do that sometime. I think it'll be super <laughs> fun. We don't have to play it right now. Okay. But I yeah. definitely, we're going to play the game, is basically you what should, I'm telling you. You should. Right now. So, um, how do you pick your guests? Well, you know, I try to mix it up. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a lot of an amazing artistic friends, so right. that's my number one pool, because mm -hmm. usually they'll say yes, you know? Right. Um, and then I try to get people whose voices, you know, I probably wouldn't talk to in the queer community. Right. So, you know, right now I haven't had any straight guys on, because the one straight guys that, that I wanted to have on, they were 
too busy to come on. Right. Um, but you know, I want to have like cis males giving mm -hmm. advice too, because it's not just our community, but also the allies. Mm -hmm. um, but I try to do a broad range. So from writers, filmmakers, stand-up comics, uh, political voices. Running um, the gamut. Yeah, running the gamut. Who's uh, who's next? Melissa Phoebos was, is released today. Mm -hmm. um, she's an amazing writer uh, right. based here in Brooklyn. Um, and then this week I'm actually doing two episodes with Sydney Washington and Marie Faustine. They're like new hilarious stand-up comic duo yeah um, and Sydney is of the community she's in our community mm -hmm. and Marie is an ally um, they're hilarious and then on Thursday I have Alexis Fish who's the new head of them oh excellent yes that is really exciting one last thing how do listeners send in their questions? Because after this, I'm telling you, so many people are going to want advice <laughs> from Robin Cloud. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, we have, you can email us at um, dearqueerradio at mm -hmm. gmail.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Robin. This has Thanks been a for lot having of fun. Me. Hope to have you again sometime soon because we got a game to play. Yes. Thanks for joining us. Next time, the nation's first community development organization. More on Doc NYC and provocative Brooklyn-based musician, Fusilier. See you then. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley Ford, and is produced by Ross Tuttle, Fred Brown, Shireen Bargie, Emily Bogosian, and Kritzi Roberts. Our show is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer, and is recorded by our studio technical director, Eric Hamasek. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias. If you want to get in touch, you can leave us a comment, tweet us using the hashtag 112BK, email us at 112BKpodcast at gmail.com, or leave a message at 347-504-0801. And make sure you subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or whichever podcatcher you use. 112BK is part of the Brick Radio family. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.